So today we have a very special guest who happens to be my neighbor here in Worcester Park in, in London. And we bumped into each other during a, a talk that I delivered recently and I immediately recognized him. You know, it's like, I know you from somewhere. And uh, lo and behold, we were neighbors and, you know, we got off to some like really interesting conversations, which now I'd like to capture one of those on, on this podcast. And today we want to talk a little bit about car industry specifically, automotive industry, and really delve deeper into what's going on there, what has been really already going on, as well as what might be going uh, on in the future and how you know, what, what sort of wisdom from the business side, you know, we can pick up from there. Uh, first things first, John, let's, let's hear a little bit of introduction about who you are, you know, cause I, I don't like to introduce people, you know, you, you know yourself the best. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess in one respect, um, I'm not a hardcore car industry kind of guy. Um, by that, you know, I've not been in the car industry for years and years and years. Yes. Uh, I, I I was brand ambassador for the Nissan GTR for a point. Um, I was part of um, the French car manufacturer Alpine's launch or relaunch into the UK, um, which was a fantastic project to be involved in. Um, but I was also a founder member and for the first 10 years chairman of a quite a prestigious car club. And we had members around the world. We had official recognition from the manufacturer. Uh, and then I went off and ran uh, quite a significant in terms of numbers. We had 3,000 cars, uh, car show in the UK and ran European driving tours. So I'm a kind of car guy by, by passion and ended up also being a car guy by profession. And even now I'm still involved in an event called Auto Royale, which is a very prestigious uh, Concours event coming to the UK soon. So passion, profession, but certainly cars, yeah. That's a classic humble English uh, brag, as as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, what what is like? Tell us so that we, we'll follow this model that's on my picture here. And first things first, like, what is the actual purpose of of car and automotive industry in your view these days? Because, like, in the past, I would have always thought, and Mo, please chime in here. You know, I would have thought that cars were about an automotive industry was about getting people uh, from A to B, but actually really in practice, it seems to be about like showing off really more than, more than anything. What, what is the purpose today in your view of that industry? So, so you're absolutely right. You know, a car is, is, a, is a, uh, a device to achieve a certain objective, okay? But it comes with it a whole load of, uh, of, of, of social elements as well. Yes, it's used to show off. Um, different cars attack, attract different types and natures of people that it has different bragging rights. Um, Ian Callum, who's the uh, ex-chief designer at Jaguar, said there's no such thing as bad cars, just bad car companies. And that's really interesting because, you know, we all think of, of beautiful Italian exotic cars or, or wonderful British classic cars. And absolutely, you know, they are brilliant things. Some of them are actually pretty dreadful to drivers, to be honest. But whether it is the cheapest thing that you can buy on the lot, it's still actually a, probably a pretty good car. Any modern car, the cheapest one you can buy, if you think about the technology that's in there, it, it, it's a world away from the technology of 20 years ago in terms of a car. So cars themselves are fantastic devices. We all have our favorites. We all have reasons for buying them, whether that's to how, you know, the emotion it stirs when you're, driving up the gravel driveway to stay in a beautiful hotel for the weekend and go to a wedding or what it looks parked outside, parked outside China white. It doesn't matter, right? It all attracts an emotional, uh, uh, an element to it. And that's key in, in the customer buying psyche. But the car industry itself is a fundamentally different thing. The car industry is like any other industry. It's very competitive. It's, it finds its niche in the market. It tries to produce the best product the most efficient product. But beyond that, actually cars is a hugely political thing because of the sheer scale of it. Germany, 800,000 people work in the car industry. In Japan, 8% of the entire workforce work in the car industry. 
Um, and then you get France, half a million people, USA, 10 million jobs. So from the car manufacturing industry, it's, it's huge. It, it, you know, it's political. And, and that in itself is the problem. So, so in that sense, then the people aspect of the industry is not just uh, manufacturers and engineers of the cars and buyers and dealers, but it's also a government that, that's, that's playing part in, in this whole thing. Because this is like a whole supply chain and then some, right? So t tell us a little bit more from your years of experience, because I, I always have this kind of idea of what it's like but then you know there's my idea and then there's a kind of reality <laughs> who yeah. are the people involved in this process <laughs> sure i mean you know th there are certain countries that are very deeply entrenched in the in the automotive industry the uk certainly used to be um, it's not now you, you know the uk car industry I, it employs some forty thousand people it's nothing like it used to be but we're still very passionate about the, the british brands and aston martin stands out you know, is, is the most significant one of those. Um, but it's just the sheer impact of what is happening now to the car industry, what has been happening to the car industry, and that in itself is changing, um, and what the future means. You know, it, it's at the point where no car company can, can fail. And I don't mean that in a, you know, too big to fail kind of uh, banking kind of uh, quasi-reference. It, it's the sheer impact, you know, in France. Um, so just recently, um, Moody's downgraded um, seven manufacturers in, in their credit rating. Seven. You know, that, that's, that's the industry, if you like. Now, one of those was downgraded to junk. Okay. It's frightening. And that's a, a car manufacturer that employs about 200,000 people. Now, you know, that's a challenge for the, for the country because it employs 200,000 people. It probably employs twice as many of that in the whole supply chain industry and the support industry and, and everything that goes with it. No matter how bad that company is, and the state owns a percentage of this company, they have to turn it around. They have to do something. And the problem is there's too many cars. You know, we are making too many cars year on year on year for 20 years near enough. The number of cars produced is going up. Um, and until recently, that was a problem. Then China started to become quite a significant buyer, and the problem went away. The problem's back again, but the problem's back again only bigger. Um, and you're on this train of constantly trying to develop and improve, which has huge R&D costs. And at the end of all of this, you've got people whose jobs rely on it, and you've got people who are the customers and and they they seem to be getting squeezed out so in your your comment about people people are the are the biggest challenge for the for the employers and the government but they're also the, the least important part of the process mm, that's interesting mo mo is sitting in france have you noticed much uh, change in uh, attitude towards renault as a company in france what do french people think about renault <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, they do have some good uh, sports brands in that respect, but I think, and this is more of a generational comment, uh, I think, you know, our generations, you know, I'm in my late 20s, uh, doesn't really care that much about car ownership. For us, it's more about mobility, right? Mm. Uh, so for me, I still have yet to get my driving license, but I've mostly lived in cities throughout my life. Uh, you know, I was living in London for five years, and I was always on the tube, the, the bus network is great. Um, and even when I do get round to purchasing a car, I'm not really going to have a you know, national pride uh, buying consideration. It's really going to just be more about you know, uh, either something functional that gets me around that looks nice. So I have identified a few Peugeot, Peugeot models, but just the starters, uh, or on the more luxury end, something German. But in that respect, I think you know, in a, <laughs> in a, you know, we're in a generation now um, where basically people don't really care about buying a car like it used to be. I mean, mm. you've got great transport networks. Uh, you have really like more the environmental consciousness as well. Um, and if you do want to like not get in the tube, well, there's Uber for that. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's my attitude towards it, at least uh, in that respect. But, but you're right. You, you talk about Uber. You know, the valuation on on Uber isn't based on how much money they earn as, as taxi drivers. It's based on the fact that they're collecting and gathering data, which will be available to people to use, manufacturers to, to be able to use, which is why 
people like GM are investing in in those kind of companies. We 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 now have driverless cars. We see driverless cars. The driver's still there, and there's still all the instruments. That will fade over time. The problem with driverless cars isn't the cars; it's the people. You know, you still feel you need to grab the steering wheel. It's faith and trust. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we will move away from car ownership, and, and, and with things like PCP, we kind of almost have. Um, but we're going to move away from car ownership. You know, you've got uh, big transport infrastructure programs in cities. You, you've got um, you know the government backing sort of Quango type organisations to make this a reality. Um, yeah, and you'll jump in your little pod. They've got them at Heathrow Terminal Five. There is absolutely no reason why they can't run those through the city just some infrastructure in the in the streets to put them on and you're away. Jump in your little pod, tell it where you want to go, away you go, get out the other end, no drivers. It's small enough to put four people and two bits of luggage in. So it, you, you can double the number of lanes and quadruple the number of cars on the road. Um, that's the future. The reality is um, we're a long way away from that and the people who are getting into that, you know, if they're the car manufacturers, that's a fundamental shift, which is why, you know, you have companies like Tesla, which are valued now more than, than General Motors and Ford combined, because they're not a car company. Tesla is not a car company. It's a transportation company, which includes a number of elements, batteries, charging, and cars. Um, so the, the world is changing, demands are changing. You're absolutely right, Mo, you, you know, people don't want to own cars. Why, why buy something that's gonna be worth less? tomorrow than, than the year you bought it. It's a depreciating asset. And that too is because of, of oversupply. So what, yeah. I was just gonna make one final comment uh, just before we move to the next theme. So, you know, talking about people, John, you mentioned the change in habits. Um, there's one company in France that's taken off and I think now is actually at the unicorn status called Blablacar, uh, yep. which used to be called Covoiturage.fr. And it's huge, right? Because basically what you're seeing is this, you know, kind of sharing economy well, actually, even if you don't have transport links, you have now peer-to-peer -peer intermediation and people sharing uh, their asset with each other on a use basis. Um, so I think yeah. this, what's interesting as well is that, you know, you get to meet people that are not necessarily from the same social background as you. I mean, I've traveled with like, you know, people who are retired, uh, guys in the army, a uh, person who's like a student. So um, I think also this fact of like, people like not focusing so much on car, but just more like interconnection and mobility and, you know, getting from A to B without really giving a damn about the rest. That's also a big social change we're seeing. Yeah. And people are, you know, if you've got an asset that's sitting on the driveway for most of the time, you know, people are now renting them out. You know, my, I can rent out my driveway. I can rent out my car uh, and it should potentially pay for itself. So yes, as a society, we're becoming less precious about ownership. Don't get me wrong, the people with the very beautiful, you know, very expensive cars may still be very precious about it. But for the average car user, it, it's changed and it will continue to change. The interesting thing right now with us uh, traveling less, a lot more people working from home, that will evolve eventually into more people working from home or, should we say, less people commuting daily to their office. And that will change the, the need and demand for cars. You know, currently, families with two cars will... will say well actually we could reorganize ourselves and only have one um families with with a car will say well actually we can rent it out during the day um you know and and to your point you know the the, the car sharing some families will get rid of cars so the people element is interesting because you know it's actually going to create less demand um i'm not it's very early days i know but um about a week ago in germany um uh, lockdown they allowed car retailers to open again um you, you you know and and in the uk they're now allowing car retailers to open but not the showrooms so you can go online configure and order a car it'll be delivered to you you can book your your car in for a service car, car retailers are not uh, you know are getting organized for, for these these people wanting their car service so they're ahead of the curve but the idea that that you you need to own a car is going away so what they've seen in Germany, they've opened their, their, their stores on, I think it was the 20th of April. The footfall, if you can call it that because it's online mainly, is down 60%. Right? Less than half the people they're expecting to come in and go, I haven't bought a car for two months because I've been waiting to trade in my old one and now I'm just not turning up. It's, it's quite interesting. Whether that pans out long term, I don't know. 
I suspect it will never get back to the height it was. So, so are there any other major changes in expectations from, from consumers that, that you are noticing, uh, John? Uh, because like things that come to mind, for example, uh, you know, there, there, there's been notion of like flight shaming that was arising like a year ago, uh, where it's like, do you really need to fly to, I, I don't know, like Germany even, or, you know, China to take that meeting that you could have taken on zoom, uh, and so on. Like, will there be some sort of thing around car shaming as in, are you driving a gas guzzler? Do you really need that? <laughs> Why can't you use something else that's a bit more maybe electric or less polluting or something like that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly in our area where we're living, you know, those kind of SUVs and gas guzzlers have been very popular with uh, mothers that are dropping kids yeah. off to schools and so on. Do you see that like continuing being as a, as a sort of thing or will people start kind of troughing off on that, that sort of demand? That, that's an interesting question. I think um, you're seeing a positive rather than a negative. So, so the idea that people want to buy um, electric cars, hybrid electric, you know, hybrid electric is by a country mile the biggest growing market sector in terms of new car sales. So you are seeing people embrace that in a positive way. You're not necessarily seeing any shaming going on. Um, you, you know, it, it'd be quite uh, difficult, I guess, to, to shame someone who turns up in a, in a £200,000 exotic sports car. Um, uh, you know, but, but the big four-by-fours, you know, um, outside schools and all that kind of stuff, I, it's difficult to shame people when there's so many of them. So I, I, I think from a from a cultural point of view it's much more a positive thing than a negative thing but there is one thing to remember he's he's just a fantastic idea per passenger mile a horse bear in mind what it eats etc pollutes more than a corvette okay interesting that's that's like one of those stats that is like um dinner conversation <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, it, but, it, but it just shows you you know it's not always really obvious right you know some hypercars some supercars are very efficient you, you know um behind me there's there's a, there's a poster by a, a wonderful designer uh, friend of mine um his new hypercar is going to be uh, you know hybrid you know but your your average you know run of the mill backwards and forwards to the shops car isn't hybrid so who's, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? It's not a simple black and white kind of thing. Mm. So systems wise, what was then happening at the beginning of 2020? And what are the challenges in the automotive industry now then? So the automotive industry is, is so there's, there's, there's a number of parts of the automotive industry, first of all, right? So you've got the manufacturers. Now the manufacturers are constantly churning out cars, investing in new technology, um, because they're being driven that way uh, by people like Tesla. So, so they're having to embrace a lot of the new technology. It, a lot of this stuff is very expensive, which is why you see some of these big alliances coming together. Um, the Renault-Nissan alliance last year, uh, uh, you go, bought Mitsubishi, or 50% of Mitsubishi. Um, yes, because Mitsubishi needed the money at the time. But also, they have no hybrid technology. They have battery technology, they have diesel, they have power. Electric, they have no hybrid. So rather than develop hybrid, why not go and buy someone who's actually probably one of the best at it? So there's a lot of that, but there's only so far that will go. And then you've got people, you know, like um, Aston Martin are going to be using Mercedes-Benz engines because just the cost of development. You've got European emission regulations getting ever and ever and ever tougher, right? which means more and more and more R&D. So the challenge for the manufacturers is just purely the, the, the scale of the, of, of the challenges being set by the government and the competition. Um, it, there's no way out um, because we, we demand it because of the environment, because of our needs. Um, and, you know, nobody can afford to fail because, again, because of the sheer, sheer numbers. Then you've got the finance people. You know, a lot of them are owned by, um, by the manufacturers. That, that's a massive industry and, and that matters because you know the finance is keeping the, the, the production line going literally but then you've got the retailers now retailers are most of them are big organizations yes there are small retailers um, but you know 
they have an they're kind of stuck in a in a cliff stick. You know, they've got declining demand, but they've got manufacturers constantly pushing product at them. So so how do they do that? Um, and and it's challenging. So you've got a situation where Ford in the UK have said they're going to shut two hundred dealerships this year, and they're forecasting wow. and yeah they're forecasting a loss of four hundred eighty million. Pendragon have just announced a hundred and seventeen million loss for last year. And, and so it goes on, right? I can think of lots what's, of what's Ben retailers. Dragon. What's that? It's a big retailer has lots okay. of brands under it. So, okay. um, so if, if the retailers are making loss and they're getting more and more and more product pushed at them, you, you know, you're going to see failures. There's already been some, there'll be more. Um, but, it, but it's a challenge. And, and then you, then where this all comes together is the manufacturers, you know, they want you to buy as, as, as the, uh, wholesaler, if you like, buy their product so they put incentives in you know so which is why you see special rates on pcp and and you find you know dealer discounts and all these kind of special offers so the margins therefore are being shrunk just to just to maintain this this production um you know last year uh, as a as an industry the second-hand car market made a loss in the uk because there's so many people trading in their cars the dealerships needs to buy the car or it's handed back because the end of the PCP has come to, to its end. The manufacturer really doesn't care about a car that's two years old. He's just made a new one. It needs to sell the new one. So you get examples where a customer walk into a dealership and it's cheaper to buy a new car than an old one. Yet there is nothing wrong with the old one. It just happens to be two years old and somebody else didn't want it. It's a crazy place to be right now in, in the automotive industry. Wow. <laughs> right. So what about what about your views on tomorrow then in terms of innovation and the changing technologies that are, you know, taking place in this industry? Because I, I try and keep keep an eye out on this as much as possible. Obviously Tesla comes a lot in, in my various feeds. They like even though Elon Musk describes himself this himself as a as a guy who's not a marketing guy, uh, he always captures the attention. Uh, yep. You know, so what, what, what's going on? What's going to happen, you know, going forward and, and what's changing? Gosh, yeah, if I had, if I knew the answer to that, I'd have people like GM paying me a heck of a lot of money. Um, I, I, there, there's obvious things going to happen. The drive ever towards more efficient engines, you know, in London, they, they want to ban diesels. Um, you know, it wasn't long ago that they were saying, hey, let's you know, get everyone into diesels. They're more efficient. So, you know, the, Nothing ever stays the same. There's a drive for ever more efficient engines. I think we need to change the way we record um, the, the, the emissions on a car. It's parts per million, not total parts. So a very big engine that's efficient is actually considered better than a small engine that's not efficient. Yet actually the small engine that's not efficient may be polluting less. So you know, some of the regulations need to change. Um, I, I think um, there is a drive more towards hybrid more towards battery, but we need to find new technologies as well. You, you know, Toyota have got this hydrogen fuel cell car, which is brilliant. It does need battery, but the hydrogen is fantastic. Um, that technology needs developing. The challenge with battery cars is, is the batteries themselves. You know, the, the stuff that they make those batteries out of, it, there's not enough if, we all, if half the world decided to go battery tomorrow. You know, we couldn't we couldn't get it out of the ground. It's just not enough. So so where do we find uh, you know all of the raw materials? Um, it, you know, batteries degrade over time, which then somehow we have to dispose of this. So it, it, it has an environmental impact. So we haven't actually got the answer yet. We know what the problem is: too many cars, too much pollution. You know, taking up too much space. Um, you know, and, and and there are elements of that that will improve the situation, but I'm not necessarily saying they're going to solve it. Um, if we all got rid of cars tomorrow and had pods, it'd be great. If we all got rid of our cars and had a bicycle and only commuted three miles to work instead of 50 miles to work, that'd be great, but society won't stand for that. Um, the, the simple challenge is there's no one fix. There's a lot of stuff that needs to change. The interesting thing right now is society is actually driving that change. Um, and and I'm not sure, you know, who's winning, but it's it's a long, long race, uh, and we've got a long way to go, and so, a lot of money to do it. Sorry. Um, 
John, so I'd like to bounce, bounce back on that, actually. So you've mentioned, you know, the different practices in terms of how we build cars, how we design them. But, you know, as you said itself, a car is only an object. There's a whole ecosystem around it, right? Manufacturers, people, resellers. Um, so I'd just like a bit more your comments in terms of, like, the social innovations you see, you know, different practices you might see emerge, whether at industry level or in, like, individual social level. Um, I say that this is so vast, but one example I've seen uh, that benefits the manufacturer is the financialization of the car, right? So rather than the car being a physical asset that you buy, the car being a financial product with underlying collateral, uh, which keeps people, you know, like with iPhones, right? You get the iPhone. Yeah. It yeah. works very well for three or four years, but you get into a contract where they'll offer you the upgrade after a year or two. Um, and obviously when you're looking at, you know, this kind of uh, new financial products, that's, pure profit for them essentially you know because you've got a loan it's very secure you don't have all the intermediaries because you're unlike you know like a bank that would own its <laughs> its branches while well, you own or partner with the retailers that are selling that so i mean outside of the financing are there other trends that you're seeing you know what what is kind of the future in the, on the social aspect look like so uh, let's talk about financing first and and your your comment about iphone is interesting you know in france they i don't know if they've brought in the laws yet but about you know technology obsolescence and and those kind of things you know people throwing iphones away that are two years old that's that's just oh, not good we're, right we're very good at making laws with tech giants <laughs> right okay <yeah. laughs> we'll leave that one there right uh, yeah. um but but you, you know this, this idea of obsolescence is 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 not you know there are it's not great for the environment. It's not great for the owners. The residuals on cars, you know, uh, you know, used to buy a car. You know, when I bought my first car, I sold it three years later and I didn't lose much money. Now, if I buy a car, by the time I've got it home, right, you know, I've just lost tens of thousands of pounds kind of thing. You know, it's crazy. So, and, and that's this, this, this finance thing. Now, um, in terms of, of social trends, I think, the very notion that you would buy something that's a depreciating asset um, of a, a significant spend is is a weird notion. So previously, it wasn't a, it didn't have a significant depreciation. Now it does. One could argue that the finance that is is what's driving the depreciation because it's now easier to get finance on a car and it's easier to change. And go back to Jason's point right at the beginning about the social thing. Yeah, you want a two-year-old or a one-year-old car on the driveway, not a seven or eight-year-old car on the driveway. And that's wherever you live, right? That, that's a social uh, 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 phenomenon that we have. Um, so I, I think the social changes, there's one thing, you know, Mo, in, in three years' time, four years' time, we should have a conversation about an advert you'll be hearing on the radio that said, where you missold PCP. All those adverts you hear about PPI right now, in three years' time, you'll be hearing about PCP. I genuinely think PCP will be the next PPI scandal for banks and finance houses. Quick question. We keep hearing the word PCP for the uninitiated. What is that? Yeah, what is PCP? Yeah. So PCP is personal contract purchase. So it's a, it's a specific product for cars. Um, it's like higher purchase. So the idea is you put a deposit down or not. You pay so much a month to, in effect, rent the car. Um, and maintain it and so on and so forth. At the end of it, you either hand the keys back and there may be a, a balloon payment to pay or there may be no settlement um, or you, you, you know, depending on the, the, how well you've looked after the car or there's a balloon payment which you pay and then you take ownership of the car. So it's, it's, it's rental and then purchase or rental with a purchase option, PCP. So I, I think social change, you know, that's going to be a, a big thing. I think there's going to be some some interesting um, financial uh, challenges around that and, and people getting involved in that from, from a sort of reclaimed point of view. Um, other social trends, I think, you know, we are forever wanting the newest, shiniest thing. You know, you talked about, you know, iPhones, you know, everyone wants the latest iPhone, everyone wants the latest whatever car, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's a human instinct. Um, I don't think we'll change that. What we need to do is, is, is change the script. And the script needs to be, instead of I've got the newest car, it's like, no, I don't own a car. And I think that will be the social change. I don't own a car, um, but I have access to one that's on a row of, of seven or eight of them you know, outside uh, my local railway station. And I jump in it and it drives me home and it goes back again. I think that's the, the change. 
Um, socially, it's interesting, you know, um, if I was advising someone on a career right now and they wanted to go and be a mechanic, I'd tell them not to bother. Um, wow. If, <laughs> but, you know, there will always be mechanics, but just a lot less of them, I suspect. Um, will, you know, if, if you've got a child that, that's starting school, they'll probably never have a driving lesson. They probably won't ever own a driving license. They won't need to. Um, so, you know, we, we've got to look to the children and think, what's, what's their world going to be? What do they think transport is? If you've got a little kid, it's very simple. Transport is there's some bloke who sits in the front or some lady who sits in the front who drives me everywhere. It just happens to be mum or dad. That's not going to change, except instead of being mum or dad, it'll just be, you know, a, an empty steering wheel. So quick, quick question before we bounce on to the next theme. This is more, I would say, trivia, and it probably only concerns 0.1% of the population. You mentioned moving the script from, uh, you know, my car's one or two years old to I don't own a car. Uh, you know, what about those of us who want to purchase a luxury car? Uh, what's, what's it looking like socially there? You know, car buying club, or am I going to buy that car, have it sit in my driveway? I'm asking the important questions here. <laughs> will, will Mo be shamed for owning an Audi? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've just got a few to prove there. Mo, 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 I can introduce you to someone at Deus, all right? So you can buy a nice French car, you know, although you will say that, let's not get into that. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, so so cars, cars appeal to a number of things, right? Yes, it has a functional element, um, but it, it does also have an emotional tie as well. You know, there are a reason why cars today feature very extensively on, on a lot of films, all right? And, and Hollywood producers spend a lot of time getting the right car because it creates a certain image, you, you know, and, and I, uh, I was approached on a number of occasions uh, for a GTR to feature in, in a, a couple of, of uh, TV programs in the UK. And my first question was, who's the owner? Who's the driver? What, what, what character are they playing? And if they were a bad guy, no, we didn't want to be associated with the bad guys. Right. You know, so, so there will always be a car as a, as a, as a toy, as an expression of, of or fun, as an expression of who you are. You know, um, a classic old car, you know, or, or a brand new, you know, hypercar. What does that say about you as a person? So how will you own one of those? Um, I think they'll become more and more expensive, but they will become investments. You know, um, uh, you know I, I bought a car many years ago and I sold it a few years later for three times what I paid for it because I happened to buy the right car at the right time. That doesn't always happen. I've lost a lot of money on cars as well. But there are cars out there that are worth eye-watering sums of money. And, and that in itself then becomes a problem. You can't sell it because of the tax on it. So potentially car clubs, yes. But if you really are passionate about a particular brand, a particular mark, you might buy one uh, and it becomes a family heirloom. Thanks, thanks for that very important response. <laughs> yeah, I can make some strategic decisions for the future now. <laughs> You're welcome. So, so moving slowly into the products realm, um, there is a whole kind of thing around customer experience. And by the way, I have a, like a, a confession here to make that I also don't have a driving license either. And I've been this kind of guy who has always said to my wife, you know, she's, she's been always kind of like shaming me for not having a driving license. And, you know, she would say to me, like, when are you going to get your driving license? And I said, when, when the full autonomy is a standard kind of thing. In other words, I won't need it. Uh, so so, but you, are, I, you are the future. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but I've always been absolutely fascinated by customer experience of cars and transport. And uh, so, so the question then is, what is the, the customer experience uh, of, of what's it going to be like and, and, and is that really the product here that we're looking at uh, and and why is it perhaps not changing as much as it perhaps ought to considering these kind of trends and yeah I've been waiting for this for 20 years now and it's like I'm still thinking like my gosh I might have to get a driving license yeah so, so you, Jason you can tell your wife that you're, you know, you are the future that John Fuggles has said you know you're actually going to be a role model I, I've been saying that to her and she just says like oh shut up <laughs> So, I, I mean, a car has changed very, very little, um, you know, since, since 
you know, Mr. Benz and, and a few of his chums got together. You know, the first petrol station in Germany was, was 100 years ago. They haven't changed. You still drive till you run out of petrol. And by the way, it was, it was invented because his wife wanted to go and see a friend. And by the time she got there, she ran out of petrol. So he built a petrol station in that town. Um, that hasn't changed. That's, that's petrol, love. That's love. That's love. Yeah, build your wife a petrol station. There you go. Um, so that hasn't changed. A car hasn't changed. It has give or take four seats, you know, some more, some less, but give or take. And usually four wheels, not always an engine. And, and fun, fundamentally, it's, you know, it's a, a car is no different to a horse and car. If you, if you look at the very first cars, they were a horse and car with the horse detached and an engine put underneath. You know, nothing's changed. Technology is changing that, but the technology is in the powertrain. It's, it's around you know, batteries, not, not combustion engines but it's still fundamentally the same thing. We see all these beautiful futuristic cars. Um, they cost a lot to manufacture um, and, and customers aren't always ready. You know, the, Jason, you mentioned you know, uh, um, Tesla earlier. You, you know, I mean, look at their new you know, um, wagon. It's, it's like something from the future. You know, you know, a chunk of people love it. A chunk of people absolutely hate it. You know, so, so you've got to take the customer with you. But actually, the biggest change in a car is inside. You know, if you get in a, a, a reasonably spec car, I'm not talking about something exotic, you expect a standard, you know, MP3, DVD, sat-nav, Bluetooth, heated seats, you know, electric mirrors, you know, parking sensors, you know, ABS, you know, airbags. If you don't get that, you want to know why. Most of that didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, the pace of change is, is moving faster and faster and faster. Um, so uh, that kind of technology is being driven by the technology people. You know, Apple CarPlay, you know, it's, it's, it's a tech company doing stuff for cars. And, and that's the change. Google are getting into cars as well. But at the end of the day, it's still a, a sedan, right? You go back to the original days of sedans. You, you know, somebody sitting in a chair and a lot of people carrying it. It hasn't changed in 3,000 years. We've, we've put a motor in it and got rid of the people. We put wheels under the, under the bars, but it's the same thing. Um, it will only change when the dynamics of how we use it change. So, I mean, recently I, I this little bit of bragging here, but we won this uh, Ford Mobility Hackathon, which mm. was about car space or curb space, even uh, curb space. And, uh, Ford had developed this curb space API and then they were like getting a bunch of people to hack on the like what that can be utilized for and the kind of trend has been you know I've done a little bit of work in Jaguar Land Rover um, accelerator before and there it was about innovations around the delivering to your boot of the car uh, various kind of uh, hiring for a day for an hour you know insurance that's um, you know some temporary you know and also can be used by three or four people all these kind of things so it seems like the system bit of the of the overall company experience is playing a major role in becoming the product right so i might as you were saying i might want to jump on let's say if we take like something like mercedes-benz because i'm thinking also like about around brand affinity right that mercedes-benz could be a company that could provide some sort of uh door-to-door -door transport solution one way or another for no matter what perhaps even including things like bikes because let's say bikes are becoming like electric or so on so like why doesn't mercedes-benz have a bike company that can say, well, hey, why don't you ride on these shorter distances? We'll track that for some way or another. Maybe give you some insurance uh, premiums if you cycle more with Mercedes-Benz, okay. let's say. Uh, and then on the longer trips, you either hire something for a day or or rent something that, that may or may not include a chauffeur, uh, you know, if wife's not around in my case. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, so, you know, these kind of things and, and that become a lot more systemic uh, motability or mobility 
uh, uh, provision and a product, really. Do you right. see this happening with companies like, let's say, Mercedes-Benz and perhaps even, you know, Tesla seems to be heading in that direction, but yeah. I think the industry is heading in that direction. I think different companies are coming here in different ways. Potentially, some companies are not going to do all of it, but they will partner with people that do. You know, if we talked about GM earlier partnering with, with, with some of these kind of companies. Ford is in the same JLR in the UK, you mentioned, they're doing the same. You know, let, let give an example. I leave the Royal Automobile Club in Pall Mall, I step out onto the street, and I might want to go to the tube station, you know, Green Park or, or whatever. Um, and it's raining and I, and I don't want to walk. So, you know, I'll use an app on my phone and it will tell me there's an electric bike just parked around the corner or an electric scooter. Why not? Just park around the corner. I'll book it. I'll go there, you know, touch my phone on it and get on. Or actually, I don't want to go there. I want to go to, to, to the main railway station. So, you know, electric, you know, electric bike or scooter won't do. I'll just get a little pod and that will take me there and I'll tap on my phone and it will say the same thing. Or this time, I just, it's late and I just want to go all the way home. It's a much longer drive. I'll need a car. Same thing. That's where it all starts to come together and where, where mobility replaces cars. Um, now, in that environment, you could have, you know, the, the, the bike companies were, you know, providing that service and that already exists in London. Electric scooters are not yet road legal in the UK, but if that happens, there'll be a company step in and do that. And then potentially you'd have, you know, a, a car company would either have automated pods or it would be, at least in the short term, an Uber driver. Well, the only thing that's stopping that is there's a little bit of regulation in terms of the scooters in that example, but that's the only thing that's stopping it is somebody's not developed an app yet and gone and had a conversation with Uber and gone and had a conversation with the, the London bike people. You know, uh, it, maybe I've just given away an idea. If anyone wants to steal this idea, please do. But that's all possible to do, right? You know, the, the technology isn't standing in the way. It, it's, it's, it's the demand for people. How many people would, would like that kind of service and how deliverable in, is that in you know across the country in sw1 dead easy could you do that in in the middle of of you know a small town in oxfordshire probably not um you, you know it becomes a bit more challenging um so these things are all going to happen and they are potentially happening right now they you just haven't seen them yet and they're not finished yet but they're happening um the idea that that mercedes-benz rewards you for cycling to 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 work um it's an interesting one i'm not sure that that would happen but i but i get the point we need to embrace the idea of mobility and forget the idea of cars um and and how that works i'd just like to bounce off that uh john so i see what you and jason are saying in terms of the industry going towards mobility i even talked about this myself this is kind of more of an emotional thing not data-based but you know i still feel there will be a trend towards ownership of cars you know um that's never going to go away. I think it's still going to be a strong percentage of the population, right? So recently I was with a friend of mine. He's a very experienced mechanic. And, you know, we were playing around with the OBD2 port, which actually allows you to access the car data. And so what I found quite interesting was um, we had this, you know, so he, he's really kitted up. He has all the manufacturer uh, diagnostic boxes, etc. And we had this really terrible looking software that allowed us to actually access the data that was emitted by the car. And I came to the realization, and correct me if I'm wrong, the reason the software was so terrible was because the manufacturer, um, the, the creator of the software, the company that made it, basically had to go through and normalize the OBD signals from any, every manufacturer into the interface, uh, yes. which explained why we had access to some gauges, but there wasn't actually data for that. So in terms of products, what I'd like to ask you is, what do you see in terms of potential, you know, either like self-data hacking, which is a small, smaller percentage of the population to which I'm sensitive, um, or just like larger scale use of this data that cars uh, have, normalization of this data ecosystem. So, so first of all, the, the manufacturers want to keep control of the data and who has access to the data um, because you know, they have an obligation to, them, to the manufacturers. They also don't want you doing slightly dodgy things with the car. Um, I'm actually working with a startup that, that's trying to do something similar to that, but purely for electric cars and charging and to interface with the car to actually Im improve um, how efficiently you charge and recharge the car. It's quite a, an involved project. 
but so there are people already doing that the the obd port and access to that yes the problem isn't isn't you know the problem is getting the data out in a usable format and and the manufacturers don't want you getting too much of that but you you go way way back to the mclaren f1 which is an iconic car those cars if they broke down a mechanic would turn up with a laptop by the side of the road and plug it in um nowadays you obviously do it with a mobile phone but in those days you plugged it in when that happened people were scratching their heads going hang on a minute there's a man with a computer fixing my car you just couldn't get their head around it now actually if you see a mechanic without a computer you wonder you, you know is he actually doing all of that he should or is he just doing some of it um so so the the, the obd access uh, to data is is about you know protecting their their ip in some respect if you like um it's no different to to you, you know you, you talked about apple earlier you can download the apps you can get your data off but you try getting the really sexy stuff out of apple you can't they don't want you to right that's 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 not what they want you to go play with um so there is there is a need for, for some of these companies to come together um and at the same time there's going to be people trying to hack into it um where that gets us i don't know it's interesting that reminds me of another hackathon i i attended which is which was by organized by honda it was called power of dreams which is their brand tagline and so because it was honda we thought the way we would win that is by uh, and this was like a bunch of years ago so maybe five or six maybe even seven years ago uh so at the time the kind of no notion of smart car wasn't really that kind of popular so we created like a prototype this app you know that was to do with uh, controlling the heat inside the car, you know, set the music on before you come in and all that kind of stuff. And then we spoke to one of the Honda engineers and said, you know, to what extent can we tap into the data of the car? And he said, we can, but I'm going to call this engineer from the, ma to, from the factory to bring this like massive rig that plugs it in. And I was like, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. We're talking about like a smartphone accent. It was like, oh, that's not going to happen in a million years. That's what he was telling us. And the guy who ended up winning that hackathon just basically made the productivity up for teams to, you know, collaborate with, which, which is like, okay, you know, how's Honda, you know, really, uh, you know, playing a role in that. But it was, that was an interesting thing. Uh, what, um, what, what's to me uh, interesting to see is, is how is all this going to get tied in, right? Because without a kind of like standardized data interchanges and some sort of APIs and, and actually more of the kind of softwareization of the industry, how is the industry going to move forward uh, in, in your view, John? Well, so first of all, as we move away from uh, internal combustion engines, you know, there's less really uh critical data right you know a lot of that data Mo, that you were talking about was about engine and, and that kind of stuff which they don't want you know their competitors knowing about so as we move away from that it, it you know it becomes less need to protect data um i'm 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 not sure um there is a desire too much in the part of the car manufacturers to to combine and collaborate to have like an open system i think that takes away some some uh competitive advantage you know so the idea that that you know, if if you need um, uh, an application to be able to remotely start your car and drive it to your driveway so that you can walk out the door and get in it, you know, if you've got a Ford, that'll be a Ford app. If you've got a Vauxhall, that'll be a Vauxhall app or, or a, a you know a PSA app, right? Um, there won't be one app. Where that potentially will change is, I think you'll see some of the car companies will get very close with some of the tech companies. Um, you know, one of the cars I'm passionate about, the Nissan GTR, the technology in there, the, the screen in the middle, the MFD, you know, that was all built by Sony. Um, you, you know, so you're going to see that kind of stuff coming together. You're going to see, you know, the Googles of this world potentially signing a partnership with, with a big uh, car manufacturer, and you're going to get in and it's going to be a flat screen display and it's going to have Google Chrome on it, which is going to, you know, present all the information you need about the car. Um, probably won't let you surf the web while you're driving. You know that might not necessarily be a good thing, but I think that's going to happen because it's one less thing for the manufacturer to develop, and they can hand that to an expert. You know, in the same way that that you know the car manufacturers don't make tires. Making tires is an incredibly you know designing, developing new new technologies, making them 
stickier so you can stop quicker, but making them less abrasive so they're more efficient. How do you do that? You know, um, so tire technology is is fascinating, and it's just not something the car manufacturers get into. So what else is on that list that potentially you go? Actually, you know what? We'll get some other experts to do this, and I think that's where that will change. Mm, so that brings us into the money side of things. Um, you know, what is what's going on with the money in this industry, John? <laughs> well, uh, a lot of car manufacturers are losing money, that's for sure, especially right now. Um, you know, we had the last, uh, we had the big financial crash and um, there were times where some of the biggest manufacturers in the world would, would just had no value. You know, the, the, the debt they were carrying, um, usually related to pension schemes and such, was more than the value of the car company. And to a certain extent, they've never recovered. Um, you know, I, I, you're seeing huge um, bailouts or, or support for, for the airline industry. I think that's following with the car industry because after we come out of lockdown and people return to normal, they will second think whether they want to change the car so often, whether they need that many cars, whether they're doing that many miles. So there's, there's two school of thought on, on the pre-owned or second-hand market and i've spoke to people thinking both sides one who think you know that's going to be relatively flat or decline because people are just going actually we won't you know you know, you know buy another car um, other people are just think it's going to take off because people are going to be less reluctant to spend money on it more money on a new car um, the other side of it on the new cars the, the there are different opinions, but the overwhelming opinion is it's going to take a long, long time to recover, if ever it does fully recover, um, and, and we're going to see a slowdown. That just puts more pressure on the manufacturers. Now, you've got factories closed around the world. And don't forget, you know, we, for the most part, car manufacturers are big companies, and they have production capabilities in multiple countries. First thing they'll do, they'll look after their own, right? You know, German car companies are reluctant to close factories in Germany. French car companies are reluctant to close factories in France, and so on and so on and so forth. But you might see car manufacturing plants in other companies mothballed or, or just just you know closed down completely um, to to reduce uh, you know their production capability. Uh, and and you know if they all do that, that's better for the industry. It's probably not so better for local employees. Um, so so question, question on the money theme then, John, right? So, I mean, up for the last century, car manufacturers have been companies that make money by producing and selling cars. Pretty simple recipe, right? More recently, they've become their own bank by selling financial products uh, that are especially profitable on people that have issues with repaying the loan. You know, they could take the car. And that's a whole industry in itself in the US, which is, you know, doing car loans at outrageous rates, repoing the car, redoing it back out, right? Yep. But what, what are the sources of revenue tomorrow for manufacturers? Well, gosh, if, if you're manufacturing a car, someone still has to buy it. You still have to sell the product. Um, the squeeze is coming because if there's less people buying them and, and you, know, the, the, you, you talked about the finance element of, of car industry, um, uh, two years ago, some of the big car companies pulled out of direct finance and they handed their, their finance book over to, to banks or finance houses because they could see where this was going. Um, look, whether it's, it's a beautiful brand new you know, Aston Martin parked on my driveway or whether I you know, use an app and a, and a little four-seater pod no, no bigger than a smart car turns up and whisks me off to the station, Somebody still needs to pay for that as an asset. Somebody needs to, to buy it, maintain it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I suspect what's happened is, you know, the, or what will happen is, is there'll be more money in selling those pods because there'll be greater demand and they'll be easier to maintain as well. And the other thing is if they break down, that's okay. There's loads of them on the street. You just take them off and fix them and put them back again. Um, so I think that that's where they have to go. If they don't embrace that technology, you know, um, they become dinosaurs. Um, dinosaurs don't rule the earth anymore. Yeah. Din dinosaurs became oil. Yeah, Which we need less of. I, you know, you're right. I mean, different industries can diversify. 
um, you know, the, the technology can, can you know, manifest itself in different ways. You can move into different markets. You know, other industries are doing smart things. I mean, you know, but, but the car industry, you know, there's only so far you can take that. You know, are they going to go and produce boats? Well, no, not really. I mean, you don't get me wrong. You know, Lamborghini would argue one of their biggest competitors is a, is a yacht company. But they're not going to go and make yachts, right? Are they going to go and make aircraft? Actually, Honda are looking at that, right? But, but there is only so far you can go. They're not going to go out and, and whereas the technology companies, you know, like Tesla, which is a technology company, like Google, like Amazon, like, you know, Apple, are moving into the car space, should we call that, i.e. not making cars, but they could very, very well do one day. It's very difficult for someone like uh, you know, Ferrari to suddenly invent a watch or a phone or you know, a, a, you know, a smart watch or a phone. Right? It's really difficult. So I, 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 I'm not sure the car industry has much room to move. I think it just has to get smarter and identify the partners that it wants to work with rather than not find new markets. So I'd love to just bounce off of that because that kind of makes me think of growth. You mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation, John, that car industry is basically static, right? And so what you just told us in terms of, you know, the pods, the maintenance, it seems to me like, you know, if we're going to talk about growth, that car companies are going to move from being a direct-to-consumer proposition to being a business-to-business entity in the value chain and you know, selling initial assets as capital, but then really making money from ongoing, you know, operational recurring revenue agreements with the end service providers, such as tech companies or you know, cities, etc., that will actually be leasing out the mobility to the end user. That's my thought. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, side note on that. Like, I mean, Elon Musk has said that, for example, for for Tesla, they they would they would get to a point where no longer do they manufacture new cars, but are getting into more around optimizing how this can be leased out, rented, shared, all that kind of stuff, uh, and maintained in a, in a sort of ongoing way. Uh, so is that what you see, John? Yeah, what, what's wrong? Yeah, car as a service, right? Yeah, we, we talk, we, the, the software industry not that long ago, you, you, you bought a license hardly anyone sells licenses nowadays it's software as a service the car industry yeah. will be the same a car as a service you know at the moment we have that it's a taxi it's uber it, it's it's a seat on a train right you pay to go from there to there um so why doesn't the car industry do the same well it, well, it is it is moving in that direction so um you already have um uh, car hire companies van hire companies where you pay by the hour um in the airline industry, you've got Rolls Royce does a thing called power by the hour. You know, when you get on your, your uh, when we're allowed to get back on an aircraft to, to fly around the world to go on holiday, if 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 that's not environmentally damaging and we get told off for it, but shame on you for even to, thinking uh, of that. <laughs> well, I was thinking about other people, not me. But uh, you know, when you get on that aircraft, the the Rolls Royce engine sitting next to you, when that's off, the airline isn't paying for that. But as soon as it starts to turn and they drive you down the runway and uh, down the pyramid track and up the runway, then they're paying. As soon as they get the other end of land and turn the engine off, they stop paying. So if Rolls-Royce can do that with something that is, if you think about the cost of an aero engine, you know, huge, and you think about the complexity of maintaining it, that, that's purely a financial decision. So there's no reason why the car industry couldn't do the same. The problem with the car industry is if I have a car sitting on my driveway and I don't use it for a month, you know, whoever are not going to get paid. They, so the challenge for them isn't, isn't the process of, of charging me for every mile. It's to make sure that when I'm not using it, at least someone else please use it. And, and we're moving in that direction. And people like Uber are significantly important in that process because the data that Uber has will tell you at my local railway station how many kinds of cars they would have with how many seats, with what range, with what configuration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that would dictate, you know, which cars are parked in there to be used as pods. Um, I keep using the word pod, you know, which has a, a certain image with people, but I think we will eventually get there. Um, and that's, that's why those companies have the valuation, because they hold the key to what needs to be built in the future. 
So, so there's two things that come to mind there. One is that regarding the Rolls-Royce engines, I, I have a very good friend who's like a consultant to aircraft industry, and he says that 40, 40% of the aircraft cost is in the engines, which is quite, quite staggering. And the engine is made out of 20,000 parts, believe it or not. Uh, so, so, but, but um, the, the reason why I, I was saying things earlier on that I was saying around interoperability is because one thing that I can somehow see, and it's sort of like a gut feel based on all these kind of observations that I've been making. I, I'm sort of like a massive fan of Tesla from like where are they going next and all that kind of stuff. But basically, one of the ways I see the industry growing going forward is for the manufacturers worldwide that have built quite a, a staggering really capacity and capability of manufacturing cars and parts and all that kind of stuff kind of having to somehow band together to produce and keep producing and maintaining this fleet of um, maybe autonomous vehicles, okay, that end customers end up not so much caring about which brand it is, but how well does it work for my experience, however short or long the journey is, right? So for the manufacturers of the cars to survive and perhaps grow and thrive and maintain themselves, they would need to band together with other manufacturers to provide that seamless end-to-end journey experience for the end customers. Yeah, but that's not the game they're in, and that's quite a big task to take on. So in the UK, you've got people like Transport Systems Catapult, which are working with local authorities to try and change the way um, cities are built, if you like, or, or the way that cities evolve um, so there's less cars. Now, if they can, if they can get that organised um, and they can then go back to the manufacturers and say, OK, this is what we're going to do, um, then, then they become the aggregator for the service, you know. If you go around, you know, London, there are, you know, bicycles that, that you can just swipe a card, get on, and away you go. Well, the people who make the bikes don't run the system. It's a different thing. Um, so why, why would, you know, the car manufacturers want to get into running the systems? Find a municipal, you know, uh, authority and say, okay, you run the system. You tell us where we can park the cars. You tell us what kind of cars. Oh, no, you know, don't worry. Our data partner is going to do that. We'll tell you what cars and you run it, okay? And then you 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 buy the car off us and then you sell it as a service. Um, that that you know the problem with that is there's a lot of cost. The second problem with that is you've got to take the people with you in terms of changing the way they want to travel. You know, if you shut suddenly shut all of Oxford city centre to traffic and said there are no cars allowed at all. One, it would be beautiful, it would be brilliant, it would be how the city should be, in my mind. And I'm a car guy. Um, I think if you did that, people would still want to get around and they'd need something to replace their car for, for the slightly longer journeys. So you need to have something that's in place. So, so it's a chicken and egg. You know, do you shut off the traffic and then build it, or do you build it and incur all that cost and then one day just stop everyone from, from entering? And where are they going to park their cars when they get there? Suddenly you're going to need real estate in large you know, clumps, which we now see in, in park and drive. So you know, it, it, it's a significant change. Where you'll see it happen first is in new cities. If we were to build Milton Keynes again in 10 years' time, it would be fundamentally different. I mean, um, you know, it, you know it, it just wouldn't look like the same Milton Keynes we have today. So new cities potentially are the easiest way forward. Um, because you can build it with that in mind. Older cities, you know, a bit more of a struggle. But it requires authorities, manufacturers, aggregators, finance, and the will of the people. That's a lot of things to, yeah. to get lined up. Yeah. Which is actually the nature of the whole redesigning humanity mission. Like I've foreseen this like four years ago where it's like we're not really going to make ways forward uh, in any kind of meaningful way, shape or form unless we start actually a lot more collaborating like across different industries and, and different sectors and you know, like 
everything's become a lot more smarter and softwareized and so on. Such a, such a fantastic topic. I'm so glad we, we had this conversation. I'm sure we could go for another two, three hours. We're way <laughs> overblown our like, uh, aim of like 30 minutes, but I think it's well worth uh, going through that imaginary sort of barrier. John, where can people find you and what are you looking for the most at the moment? Sure. Um, so uh, my name is John Fuggles. Um, you, I, I own a company called Mission 23. So John at mission23.com is usually the easiest way to get hold of me. Um, just companies going through through a change that requires growth. I, I, I work in growth. So that's, that's turnarounds, that's startups, that's companies that have plateaued. How do you get to the next level? And it's not just about let's run a sales campaign, let's employ more salespeople. You know, it's a strategic approach to how do you develop and evolve your business? Um, I, I genuinely believe that that all the really cool projects just begin with an open-minded conversation. So um, if anyone wants to contact me, I'll have a conversation with them. Who knows where it leads? I mean, that's how you and I ended up on this conversation. So, Yeah. I mean, Mo, what's my neighbor like, man? <laughs> I mean, great. To be honest, I have, I have not particularly much industry of the automotive industry. So... Um, it's really just good learning all this stuff today. And it's like, you know, going away with some ideas. But particularly, you know, I think this insight that we had today of manufacturers going from sellers to the consumer to service providers for the tech titans, you know, uh, is really just another proof of the power of data today in this evolving uh, society. Yeah. And thank you for the strategic advice. Uh, about how to manage my future audio purchase, John. That's, I'll, keep, I'll keep that in mind. Guys, I, I, I'm just prob- I'm still sitting in this kind of like future consumer, you know, who wants to press a button and be able to get a bike, uh, whatever yacht, even if necessary, for a quick sort of uh, journey on the on the sea, uh, you know, and that will be you know, maintained through one app. And, you know, it would be amazing to work with companies like Mercedes-Benz and so on, on, on at least, you know, putting, plotting out some of that, some of that uh, vision for the future. Guys, thank you so much for participating. And uh, yeah, reach out to, to us all, you know, if you want to speak to John and grow your company, absolutely. You know, if you want to maintain and further keep track of how your company's working, design company software is ready there to help you with all that. So thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And thanks, John, for participating and giving us the wisdom of all ages. <laughs> Thank you. All the best. Thank you very much. All right. Bye.